Our text this evening is verses 24 and 25 of that passage in Acts, Acts 24, and this whole matter of responding to the word of God. And there is nothing so uncertain in this world as our life and nothing so certain as our death. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. And uh, some study that I was reading recently has come to the conclusion that 85% of the things which are in our thoughts concerning plans and aims and goals never actually materialize. And so we spend so much time thinking and planning and worrying about things which mostly never happen. But death is certain, and it is inescapable, and we need to face that, and we need to be ready for that. We have to be prepared spiritually, prepared for the eternity which is ahead of us. And we must seek grace to be prepared to meet God. And we shouldn't rest until we know that we are right with God that we are reconciled to him in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't know when our last day will be. We don't know when we will have sat under our last sermon or heard the gospel for the last time. You know, the final warning which comes to us. And after that, it will be forever too late to seek the Lord. And in our text, we have a very serious and sobering reminder of this truth and really what is a, a tragic account regarding Felix and Drusilla. Now, Paul, you know, the world's most famous missionary, and he could claim that he labored more abundantly than any apostle, and he was so taken up with the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified that he poured out his life, proclaiming this message with unquenchable passion to spread the truth. It was his calling, his, his burden, his life. One name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Jesus Christ. And Paul was faced with so many challenges and enemies and threats on his life, but he pressed on because he felt the necessity had been laid upon him, woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And what we find here in this passage of Acts is that Paul is brought on trial, and there he is before Felix, and we see the way in which this scene develops and eventually he is called back to appear before Felix and Drusilla to preach the gospel, to explain more of the way concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, at this time, he is under house imprisonment, and for two years, he had been forbidden to publicly proclaim the word of God. It's incredibly difficult for him. He, he preached the word boldly and constantly, even before world leaders such as Sergius Paulus and Festus and Nero, but here he is prevented from proclaiming that precious word amongst the various churches whom he longed to see and whom he longed to preach the truth, to build them up in their most holy faith and to preach the gospel to the unsaved. And Paul no doubt had to learn that in those two hard years that the Lord could carry on his work without him. But still there must have been a longing in his heart to proclaim the word of God and to, to preach Christ. And then, unexpectedly, he receives this incredible invitation to go and lead a service in the palace of the Roman governor Felix and his wife Drusilla. If you look at verse 24, and after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him 
concerning the faith in Christ. Now, a question I want to ask to begin with is this. Who were Felix and Drusilla, and why was this invitation so significant? Well, Felix was a very corrupt man. He had very little education, but he had bribed his way to a very high position in the Roman government. And with that power, he had astonished many with his brutality and his immorality. Several times, Felix almost lost his position as governor, but repeatedly managed to keep his position by buying people off and intimidating people. And all the while, Felix remained a slave of the devil and of sin. Now, Drusilla was his third wife. Felix was in his 60s at this stage, and she was only 17. And in fact, she was a grandchild of Herod the Great. She'd been engaged as a very young teenager to a prince from a, a foreign country, but he refused to be circumcised and convert to Judaism. And so there was some sort of regard for religion by this young girl and her family, even though she did not live godly herself. When she was 16, she married a king of a territory in northern Syria called Azizizus. And she was a, a very beautiful young woman by all accounts. And when Felix saw her, he wanted her for himself. And so with the help of Simon the sorcerer, who's mentioned earlier on in Acts, he influenced her and persuaded her to desert her husband and to marry him. And so the, they entered into an immoral and unlawful marriage to the ruination of their lives. Now, not long after they were married, they took a trip, some will call it a, a honeymoon, and they spoke about Paul. Because Paul, as you saw in the reading together, was well known in the area. And they, they spoke together about him. And they spoke about the fact that Paul was imprisoned under Felix's domain. And they were both curious about what this man was preaching concerning this Jesus Christ. And you know what he would have to say about this, this gospel, this truth. And so they decided amongst themselves to hear a sermon from Paul's own mouth. And so when they returned from the trip, we're told in our text that they invite Paul to appear before them. And of course, Paul, seeing the opportunity, he accepts. Now, even though he knew that the likelihood was that their motive was impure, that their way of life was wicked, and that this could bring him in great danger, he desired to preach Christ. He wanted to name the name of Christ and to bring the gospel. And Paul accepted this invitation to preach in front of a woman whose father had killed the apostle James, whose great uncle, Herod Antipas, had killed John the Baptist, whose great grandfather, Herod the Great, had murdered all the babies in Bethlehem. But he agreed to preach in that palace formerly owned by Herod, where so many had been murdered because he loved Christ, he wanted to proclaim Christ, and he had a heart for the lost. It was a saying of the day that there was not a stone of the building that he was preaching in that had not been splattered with blood. So it wasn't an easy opportunity. But Paul, by God's grace, went with unflinching courage and unwearied zeal and an unquenchable hope because he believed that despite their hardened hearts, God, if it pleased him, could break into their lives through the preaching of the word. Now, Felix was a Roman and uh, Paul felt a special burden for preaching to the Romans. 
And plus Felix was a governor and Paul had been set aside to preach the gospel to Gentiles and kings. Ananias gave that to him. And so he went hoping that God would be gracious to these people. Maybe he reasoned that Felix was a, a deeply fallen sinner just like he had been. Just like he, uh, he, you know, he knew that he continued to battle against sin. And so no doubt he thought if it was possible for the Lord to, to stop me on that road to Damascus and turn my life around, then it's possible for the Lord to stop Felix and to, to save Felix. And so it was in this particular vein that Paul went with that hope that God would do something amazing for Felix and for Drusilla. Do you know, I was thinking about that, and it's true, isn't it? We're always figuring. We're always thinking over things. We always have our ideas and our expectations of who we think is going to be converted and who is not going to be converted, who is likely, who is not. You know, we, we have our ideas of who we think might be likely, but, you know, we shouldn't really waste time on that because the Lord will save whom he wills. And he's able to convert even the hardest of hearts, even the most unlikely. And that should give us genuine hope. Wherever the word comes, there is that possibility that it may be the hour in which God can work savingly in the hardest heart and the most unlikely human choice. You know, that's why Paul couldn't decline this dangerous invitation. And you know, there's a couple of lessons for us here. You know, maybe there are those here who fear that God will never work in their hearts. Or, you know, they think they're an unlikely choice to be saved. You know, I would remind you again that God delights to save the unlikely. And there is hope for those who, who feel that they're unlikely, who feel that they're unworthy. None of us are worthy. Salvation is of His grace. And God is often pleased to save whom we might think are the most unlikely. And for those of us who do know the Lord, you know, I, I was so challenged by this. Do we possess that evangelistic heart like Paul, that even though this was dangerous to name the name of Christ and to reach these people, overrode that fear? And, you know, we need that. You know, would we be willing to bring the gospel to those who might endanger our lives? You know, maybe many of us, would struggle with that. But it just shows us that that boldness we need, we can't summon that up ourselves. You know, the Lord must give it to us and we need to pray for it. God, give us boldness to speak for Christ. And so this opportunity comes and you say, well, what did Paul say? What did he preach? Well, let's consider Paul's sermon together. With holy boldness, Paul, it says, reason with them. Now, you can tell it was a good sermon because he had three points. Three points in his sermon. Uh, I don't manage to do that, but there we are. He had three points as he explained the way of Christ. Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And each point was proclaimed with precision with the hope that the word would pierce the hearts of Felix and Drusilla. And so he hoped that the Lord might bless his word to the saving conviction of this ungodly couple. So what did he emphasize to them? Well, the first thing was righteousness. And this would have come to Felix with relevance because his own office was meant to be as a righteous judge. And so you can imagine Paul saying, well, Felix, God is righteous. He's the just 
and holy one. He created us righteous and holy. He demands that, that we be righteous despite our deep fall in Adam. We have lost that original righteousness. We are plunged into sin. And indeed, we are sinful by nature every day. And maybe you had the boldness to say, look at your hands, Felix. Are they not full of bribery? Look at your feet. Have they not been quick to shed blood? Look at your heart. Isn't it full of injustice? Look at your life. Isn't it filled with cruelty and immorality? Felix, you must become righteous before God. And that's impossible for you. But what is impossible for you is possible with God. There is a way of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ who paid the full price of sin on behalf of needy sinners, Felix. And even though he himself was fully righteous, he stood in the place of those who had trusted him. He did this to satisfy God's justice as a substitute for unrighteous sinners so that they might be made righteous. Felix, you can be saved. There is a, a way of salvation for unrighteous, cruel, bribing sinners such as you, and it's Jesus Christ, the only way to be reconciled. Righteousness. The righteousness we need is the righteousness of Christ. And then temperance. Temperance means self-control. It means freedom from what defiles. It means personal purity. It means to have one's passions under control. And now the sword became even more pointed to Felix. Felix, are you not an adulterer? Are you not unchaste, unclean? Is not that young woman beside you an adulteress? Are you not living in, a, in shameless lust, in an unbiblical marriage? Felix, how shall you meet a pure and holy God when you are impure, when you are unholy? Paul's boldness, righteousness, temperance, and then the judgment to come. And as he built to the conclusion of his message, you can imagine the argument, Felix, you're guilty with regard to righteousness. You're guilty with regard to temperance. And you're also guilty in the light of the judgment to come. That judgment which is inevitable. The judge stands at the door. It shall be a personal judgment and every sin shall be accounted for. Nothing is hidden from God. It's an eternal judgment. And of that judgment, there is no return. And we shall enter everlasting joy or everlasting torment and the glory of heaven or the tragedy of hell. Felix, you are a judge. But this judge does not operate as you do. This judge takes no bribes on the great day of days. This judge is straightforward. He is just in his justice. And the sentence he pronounces is strictly executed. Felix, how will you stand before a holy and a righteous God? Your future, Felix, if you don't repeat, will be everlasting condemnation. Hell is a place, Felix, where its inhabitants are being consumed and yet never fully consumed, ever dying but never dead, ever burning but never burnt up. Hell is a place where there is no communion, no friendship, nothing but the wrath of God poured out without mixture. Felix, how will you stand? You need the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be saved. And you know, all of those great points that Paul made in that message before Felix, we are called to that faint face that same challenge. You know, you and I may consider ourselves and we may not have been as apparently wicked as Felix, but the same principles hold true. 
How can we pass the tests of, of righteousness and temperance and face the judgment to come without Jesus Christ? We can't. We need the Lord Jesus Christ as the only answer to our sin and our rebellion. Otherwise, every one of us will perish in hell, condemned eternally with no relief. By nature, we don't want to hear that solemn warning. We don't want to face the solemn reality of hell and condemnation being our portion forever. But that is what it will be if we do not know Christ. And from the Scriptures, I am reasoning with you too tonight of righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. How will you stand before God without his precious son? You cannot meet him without the blood of Christ. How can you live on unprepared? How can you travel to a certain eternity without seeking the application of the blood of Jesus Christ? Common sense tells us that we are fools if we don't seek the Lord. Don't delay. Make haste. For your life's sake, you know, you need to be born again. If you don't know Christ tonight, you need to be born again. You need a living, real, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you need to run to him and not delay. And this is the challenge that comes. It came to Felix. It comes to each one of us. How will you face a holy God? Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. He is the only way of salvation. And so Paul preaches, no doubt, with great passion and with great clarity, full of Christ, pointing to him. And what is the response? Well, Felix and Drusilla, they hear the word of God. And Drusilla responds indifferently. Do you know, we read nothing of what happened to her. She remained unmoved, unshamed under Paul's searching sermon. You know, it is a solemn thing to consider. She was hardened against the threatenings of judgment. And she was hardened against the sweetness of the gospel. It's a terrifying thing to be abandoned to the hardness of our own hearts. The Lord striving no more with us. But Felix is different. And I hope that you noticed it. You see, he heard and he feared. Literally, he trembled. In fact, when you look at the original, the word used says that Felix trembled so much that it became physically visible. He was frightened about what he had heard. Now, we don't know much, but we know that it hit his conscience and it caused him to tremble. All that Paul said was true. He was all the things that Paul had said. He wasn't ready to meet God. He was unprepared for eternity or for the judgment to come. He feared the future. He realized that he was guilty, that he was a sinner. He was terrified. And despite all his political power, all his prestige, he couldn't shield his soul from being filled with fear. He was placed before eternity, placed before the great judge of the heavens and the earth. It was as if Paul brought out his whole life into the open and exposed his lustful indulgences and his corruption and his cruelty. He was standing at the crossroads, facing either eternal blessing or eternal woe. He had the opportunity to bow before the Lord, to turn from his sin, to trust Christ, to be delivered from sin and death and judgment and hell. The Lord was so gracious. 
to give him this opportunity to beg for mercy. Would he not cry out? Would he not give up the battle? You know, if we were there, we would surely have urged him to trust the Savior. Felix, won't you bow before the Lord while you've still got this opportunity? Felix, bow and confess. Now is the day of salvation. Don't miss it. You know, here we are this night. We're in the same position. And whether we are younger or older, whoever we may be, the Holy Spirit calls us through the word, bow, dear sinner, repent before it is forever too late. And under the preaching of the word, we are brought to the very borders of heaven and hell. We are faced with the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about judgment to come, about the Lord Jesus as the only Savior. And the question comes directly to you, how will you respond to these things? You know, will it be different to the rejection maybe that you've given before? But you know, with all of that, here is the tragedy. Verse 25, Felix was afraid. And answer, go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call you. He rejected the word. He rejected the gospel call. Paul preached, Felix trembled. And yet, you know, in that very scene, even though Paul was physically in prison, he was the free man. He was free in Christ. Felix had all the earthly power, all the earthly status, but he was in the chains of his sin, facing eternal condemnation. What a contrast. And the question comes to us, what will be our response? You know, I pray that there will be no Drusillas here tonight who are just indifferent. Or do we respond like Felix when we hear the word of God? You know, maybe it, it challenges us for a time, but then we reject it. You know, let me give you some lessons as we close on this passage. The first lesson is this. If the word is not applied to us by the grace of God, we will reject it. You know, the word never leaves us in between. It won't leave you in between tonight. I hope you understand that. We never leave God's house as we have come because the word of God always does something. We can never remain neutral under the word. The word either hardens us or it humbles us. And every time you stifle your conscience or you stifle convictions, every time you neglect an opportunity, you are left in a worse and more hopeless condition than you were in before the word came to you in the house of God. That's a very serious thing. And the Lord is not to be mocked. When the Lord speaks his word, he is coming with a heaven-sent call addressed to repent and turn to him for it's forever too late. You know, that external call of the gospel. And we need to make use of the convictions of our conscience and not return to further hardening and devastation. It is a tragic thing to disregard God's graciously given opportunities to hear and believe the gospel. And some of you have heard the gospel many, many, many times. And yet you still remain in hardness against the law. That's a frightening position to be in. As one explains, you know, when we delay with regard to matters of the soul, we put ourselves in such peril. You know, if the word is not applied to us by the grace of God, we will reject it. And the second lesson is, it is so dangerous to delay with regard to matters of the soul. You know, Felix said that he would 
call for Paul again sometime, but he never did. In fact, it was probably the last time that Felix ever heard the word of God. You see, Felix was not only sending Paul away, but in essence, he was sending away the one who sent Paul, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul was an ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and Felix was effectively saying, go away, Lord. I'll call on you when I want. When I, it's on my terms, and when I want to do that. But the Lord cut him off, because you don't call the shots with the Lord. You know, if we reject the gospel repeatedly, then we shouldn't be surprised if the Lord removes any further opportunity. You know, I don't think people understand the urgency of the situation. As one explains, when we repeatedly stand before an open door which the Lord invites us to bow and repent, do not be surprised when the Lord finally closes the door of his invitations if we constantly use excuses of inability or unwillingness. We cannot postpone the great day of God's visitation. In that day, all our excuses will be as nothing before the sight of a holy and righteous God. You know, maybe we think, well, you know, I can just be indifferent and I can do nothing. That is to be mistaken. Rejecting the word of God is saying no to the Lord. And there are consequences to that. And his patience is not to be mocked the danger of delay is so great and Felix was deliberately destroying himself. He chose condemnation and that's the choice we all make by nature. And Felix was also deceiving himself, saying, I'll, I'll seek tomorrow. I'll respond when it's more convenient. You know, Martin Luther said rightly, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's what we find here. You know, one preacher explains two words that have slain many souls, yesterday and tomorrow. And you say, well, how? Yesterday. You know, many say, well, why should I seek the Lord? You know, I've, I've sinned too much in my past. You know, all my yesterdays, they're against me. You know, I've got no hope. And that reasoning, it sounds so humble, doesn't it, and pious? But it's not. Because effectively it's saying, oh, the Lord can't save me. Oh, the Lord, you know, I've done too many bad things. The Lord can't have mercy on me. I'm too sinful. And that's not only doubting the power of God, but also the blood of Christ, which cleanses from all sin. You know, what have you done in your yesterdays that is beyond that phrase, all sin? You know, as one explains, ultimately it is not your yesterdays that keep you from the Lord but your unwillingness today to lose your life and bow before him. The other word is tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll seek him. The amount of conversations that I have had with people over the years in the open air or various places, or, you know, I'll think about it another time. I'll, I'll seek him tomorrow. You know, maybe this night you'll leave this house of prayer saying, well, you know, I know I need to be a Christian. I, I, I know that there's something in this, but but maybe I'll think of that tomorrow. Tomorrow's too late. One preacher rightly says, tomorrow's faith is today's unbelief. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You never read once in the scripture about seeking the Lord tomorrow. Seek him today. 
Seek him this very hour. Ask him for grace to show you your sin and your need, to show you Christ. You know, you can't afford to delay anymore. It's staggering to think of the things that people make time for. You know, you can make time for the things that you want to. Sit in our lives all the time, and yet they will not make time to get right with God. They will not make time to come to the Lord Jesus. Will you let pass by the one thing you really need? You know, and you need more than outward impressions. It's not enough to come to church and and hear a sermon that warns you. You've got to know Jesus for yourself, to trust him for yourself. And don't rest until you know the Lord savingly, until you lose your own life and find your life in him, until you know that spirit work marks and steps of grace. We need him. And it's a tragedy when people delay. And often it's to the ruin of their souls. Third lesson, don't trust common convictions. What do I mean? Well, Felix pacified his conscience for the time being with his impressions. He had what we would call a slavish fear of God, but he didn't have that childlike fear of one who has been born again. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, ultimately, it sounded again, you know, very hopeful. He was fearful. He trembled at the word. But this type of fear still has its own glory as its ultimate goal. And it desires really an easy life, a a quietened conscience, peace and rest. He wanted really to get away from that feeling of fear and to get back into the world and away from what challenged him. He wanted to get back to his sin and to go to those things. Whereas childlike fear can't return to the world. You know, that that childlike faith and trust, it it parts from sin, it longs to be with God. Childlike fear longs for the glory of God and and resting God through the Lord Jesus. Slavish fear leaves the eye close to Christ, but childlike fear has its eye fixed upon Christ. There is a world of difference between the two. Slavish fear ends in damnation. Childlike fear ends in salvation. It is a coming to Christ, a a looking outside of ourselves, whereas Felix's fear only left him looking still to himself and to his sin, to his own glory. And so don't trust those common convictions. Seek the Lord. And then as we finish the last lesson, the end of the sinner without Christ is terrible. I can't put it more clearly or bluntly than that. You know, for Felix, after rejecting the gospel, his whole life was a tragedy. Felix and Drusilla, they had one son. Drusilla and that son died three years after hearing Paul preach when a volcano erupted and destroyed two very large cities. Felix was spared, and he went through the the awful horror of that, and soon he became insane. The secular historian Josephus explains that Felix in Greek means happy, but this man was known as being terribly unhappy. And some years later, Felix would indeed commit suicide in the mountains of Italy. It was a tragic end to a tragic life, but it was a life that had rejected a golden opportunity. And even more of a tragedy was the fact that he went to a lost eternity. My friends, value the opportunities that you get to hear and receive the word of God. But don't rest in the opportunities alone. You need spirit-worked application 
You need to know Christ, and I urge you, call upon him while he is yet to be found. Seek him while he is yet near. Soon it will be too late to call upon the Lord. I wonder if tonight you realize the state of your own heart. Do you realize the, the shortness of your own life? Do you realize the need that you have of Christ to wash you by the blood that he shed on Calvary, to cleanse you from all sin? The need that you have of his righteousness so that you can be accepted with God, so that when God sees you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees the perfection of his son. You know, don't waste your lifetime by simply coming to hear the gospel preached, which is good, but you need to take the blessing of it for yourself, to believe for yourself, to trust Christ for yourself. And you know, my prayer, dear friends, is that this message would not come back to you in eternity where you would see yourself sitting here again on this particular day under this particular message and realize that once again you rejected that wonderful opportunity to trust the Savior. Shall this very sermon add to your condemnation? Will you be one who pushed away the word and delayed until another day and it never came? Our natural hearts never have a convenient season. Seek grace before it is forever too late. Pray for grace to take hold of you and conquer your heart and bring you to the Savior. Do you know, it's such a wonderful thing when we are given to hear not just the external call of the gospel, but the internal call of the Savior. When we hear him calling to us to come and to believe by his grace, and when his grace irresistibly takes hold and all our rebellion is ended, how will we ever fathom the power of God and his word and his grace? You know, none of us is inherently better than Felix, but God makes a difference where there is no difference between us. And it is my prayer that he would make that difference in your life and that he would break in and that you wouldn't go away from this place Pardon, but that you will hear his call to turn from all your sin and shame and guilt and trust the Savior and know what it is to be forgiven, to be right with a certain hope. May I impress this upon you and pray that God would deal with you and that you would look nowhere else but to Jesus. Only he can save you and he saves to the uttermost all that call upon his name. Amen.